The Weekly Harvest, an in-depth look at the Brandon Weekings and the WHL. Washman trying to come up with it for Allison. Here's Allison right in front. He scores! And we are live. Welcome to another edition of the Weekly Harvest Podcast, All Things Weekings. My name is Chris Falco, Director of Game Day Operations and Community Relations, and he's Brandon Crow, the radio voice of the Weekings. Crow, how are you? I'm doing good, Chris. I know uh, today was your first day back in the office, uh, and so I know that you're probably a little gassed after a week of fishing to be back kind of in regular routine, but... Uh, you know, it's good. I love Monday nights. I, I spent the day mowing the lawn today, Get the got the yard looking all good, and uh, basically used all that time to, to think of all the questions we were going to ask our guest this week. And uh, this is uh, one of the fan favorites that, to me, uh, I think a lot of people wanted right off the hop. Now, he was a busy guy running his team in Minot and everything else, and now with the off season and the whole COVID break, we were able to snag Marty Murray for a few minutes, uh, Wee King legend, and uh, local Manitoba product. Uh, Marty, what's uh, what's life like down uh, where you are right now? You know what, it's it's a little crazy, um, as it is everywhere in the world right now, but it's it's kind of uh, let up a little bit. I think things are opening up. seems like uh, maybe the Dakotas are, are opening up a little quicker than everybody else, and uh, whether that's a good thing or not, we'll, 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 that's uh, yet to be determined. But, uh, you know, it's kind of... Almost business as usual. I think people are being, uh, you know, taking precautions, but at the same time, um, you know, I think things are starting to open up, which is good to see. Whereabouts are you now, Marty? I'm in Minot right now. Yep. Been back to Lyleton lately. Of course, the 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 pride of Lyleton, Manitoba. I well, I haven't been back there for. Uh, I mean, the border's been closed for uh, how many months? So I haven't been up, haven't been back there actually. Uh, I have a place up at. Uh, well, the Americans call it Metagoshi, and the Canadians are Metagosh. So uh, last week, um, we met right on the Canadian-U.S. border with my parents, and that was the first time we'd seen them in about four months. They were down south when uh, the outbreak, the pandemic hit, and, and uh, so we hadn't seen them forever. So it was kind of interesting to stand along a fence and six feet apart. Uh, you know, they're in Canada, we're in the U.S., but we had a good visit, and that's the last time I uh, had seen my parents uh, for quite a while. So, Marty, I mean, going going back, we're gonna we're, we're, one of our favorite things to do is to talk about just stories, like like telling some of the old yeah. stories. But one of mine is I, I gotta know what was one of your first impressions because you're you're a local product when you like back in the day the WHL draft and listing it, it, it worked a little bit differently. So you were actually listed at the time um, from a U.S. team. But what was it like when you got the call to find out that you were actually your rights were traded to Brandon and you're going to be a Wee King? You know, there was a lot of uh, speculation in the air, and that was obviously pre-internet and all that stuff, but uh, there was a lot of speculation that something was going down, and it just so happened, I think uh, our AAA midget team was playing um, in, I think, Central Plains somewhere at the time, and, and on the way home, there was a weekend game, just so happens, Full Can was uh, uh, the visiting team, and that's who uh, owned my rights. So there was a lot going on, and I remember um, kind of sitting up um, where the Wheat Kings come out in that one of those right along the goal line, I don't know, probably 15, 20 rows, and, and kind of made eye contact with Kelly as he was walking off the ice. And I thought to myself, oh, maybe something is, uh, you know, up here. And, and uh, sure enough, I think it was maybe the next day the trade was announced. 
So what are like like who are some of the first names that that you remember at the time? Because obviously you were from the area, but was there any guys on the team that that you played with growing up that you kind of were already used to when 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 you came in, or was it a whole new fresh batch of faces? Uh, I mean, there's there's a few guys, you know, Jeff Hode and and uh, um, Mark Colasar, uh, Mike Matalock, uh Those are guys, Rich. Um, you know, guys that I've played. You know, would have played Triple A midget against and. You know, just being from Westman and, and following the weekends for, uh, you know, a long time, there was guys like, uh, you know, Brian Purdy and Hardy Sauter and, and Merv Priest and those type of guys, Rob, Rob Pukniak and, and those guys. So, I mean, names that I was certainly familiar with, but I uh, didn't really know them. But, uh, you know, they wanted training camp, everybody made me feel welcome. And it was a, it was a good, fun group to, to go in with. I think our group was all... Um, you know, on the same page as far as coming out of midget and ready to try to make an impact on the on the weekends. Well, you were described as the best player on the team, even when you were a rookie and you came on. But that first year that you came, that was the year that the team won the most improved in the CHL. Uh, it was a huge turnaround and want to throw out this that earlier today in the office was talking to both rich and and kelly mccrimmon about the podcast tonight and rich is the one who said that you are the best player that he's ever played with even when you were 16 you were just the best one on the team but asked him about the importance of that trade when you came here and he didn't hesitate he said i think that's the most important trade we ever made i walked over to kelly's office and asked him i said where would you put the marty murray trade he did not hesitate marty he went Number one, he said that's the most important trade he's ever made uh, as as uh, as a G- GM of the Wheat Kings, as the owner. Um, what was that like to come into that team and for you to be a part of that turnaround? Well, I was. I, I feel to this day I was part of it. Like you said, I, it wasn't me. It wasn't you know one guy. Uh, you know, we got a like. I think uh, Bobby House was was obviously part of that trade. He was a fifty goal scorer. And, and uh, Hauser is my linemate for, for about a year and a half with the Wheat Kings. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I think I was part of it. Uh, you know, Kelly's a, a mastermind as far as making trades, and, and that was, uh, you know, a piece of it. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of trades uh, before and after that obviously had an impact on the success of our hockey team uh, over the years I was there. Sorry, guys. Living out in the middle of the country, I joked about the wind earlier. Uh, yeah, the internet is just awful tonight for whatever reason. Uh, so my apologies uh, for, for leaving you there. Uh, I don't know if Chris got to this, Marty, but where exactly are you right now? Have you moved from Minot already, or are you still in North Dakota? Yeah, I'm actually in my basement in Minot right now. We uh, Actually, I think we sold our house on the weekend, so a lot of a lot of things uh, outside of hockey you're dealing with. But, uh, yeah, we're in Minot right now. The kids are, I have three kids, uh, 16, 15, and 11-year-olds, so they're involved in a lot of activities here in the summer. So uh, they're going to continue on with those. We also have a, a lake cabin at, uh, uh, like the Americans say, Metagoshi on the U.S. side. So spend a little bit of time up there, and then eventually, obviously, uh, we'll get down to Sioux Falls here at some point. Was that a difficult decision after all those years in Minot and, and with Minot being as close as it is to your hometown to make that move? Or was it just the next you know logical progression in your coaching career? You know, it was a really uh, difficult decision. I, I'd had some opportunities in the, in the past probably three, four years with uh, you know, whether it be the American Hockey League on an assistant coach basis or, um, you know, other USHL opportunities. And I kind of always said thanks but no thanks because Minot was was home it's an hour away from Lalton where I grew up and, and my wife's from Mohall North Dakota which is only about 40 minutes from from Minot so was, this was home I mean our our, our parents are uh, heavily involved with our kids activities and, and uh, you know this was definitely home so you know it was 
every year, you know, maybe got some phone calls where I kind of said thanks, but no thanks. And I really thought that, uh, you know, the opportunity in Sioux Falls was going to go down that path too. But just got talking to their ownership group a little more, learned a little bit more about their organization. It's a real strong organization. It's, uh, it's a, an arena much like the MTS. It seats about 11,000 people. Uh, I think they average about 7,500 a game. And it's just, uh, uh, you know, world-class organization. And it got my attention and, you know, obviously I had some serious talks with the family over over dinner. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, the kids were a little apprehensive, but they began to open up. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, uh, we ended up accepting the job. So i uh, really excited about it. It's a great organization and looking forward to this next chapter in the coaching career. Now, you are no stranger to moving, though, Marty, through as, 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 I mean, every hockey player, though. But what I found really interesting about your hockey line is how you went from the Wee Kings, you get drafted by the Calgary Flames, you go a couple years going back and forth between the A and the NHL, then you do the move that not a lot of guys do. You go over to Europe to play a couple seasons before coming back and then playing more NHL games than you did before. Let's talk more about now when the weekend career. We'll, we'll go back and talk some more, more stories as well. We got questions people are asking about some of those teams, but let, let's let's talk about after when 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 you left. What was that like to to leave the WHL to go in and then discover what pro hockey really is and the path that that led you all over the world? Yeah, I mean it was uh, I mean a draft by Calgary and that was right in the heyday of uh, you know the players that they had uh, coming off the Stanley Cup win with the Newendikes and the. Al McGinnis and the Flores and the Gary Roberts, those type of players. So, you know, people you grow up idolizing and, and uh, you know, I think you can't help but be in awe when you first walk into a locker room like that. But uh, I was actually fortunate enough to make the Flames right as a, right as a rookie, as a 20-year-old rookie coming out of the Western League. And I spent, I think, the first 15 games of the year uh, up in Calgary and then uh, was demoted to, to St. John in the American League. But, uh, um, yeah, just I remember walking in and, and seeing some of the names around the locker room, and there, there's some heavy hitters at that point. Uh, you know, in the in the early '90s, they had a really strong group there, obviously in Calgary, and and uh, just meeting them, see how they conduct their business on an everyday basis. I think for me, uh, you know, it was great to learn from those guys. So, when you went to Europe, was that to show that you could go and you could score to to kind of do that, or was there other opportunities here and you decided to go there? Well, um, it was interesting. Um, I think the, Doug Risebrow was the general manager who drafted me with the Flames, and then he'd uh, been removed from his position. I just kind of felt like with the changing of the guard, I was going to kind of get lost in the shuffle. And I was 23 years old at the time and, and didn't want to be labeled as that guy that uh, was a good minor league player and a captain. Uh, you know, I felt I still had a lot to, to show. And, and uh, it, looking back on it, it certainly was a strange career path. It was a Actually, Andy Murray uh, really influenced me and, and talked to me a little bit about uh, some good opportunities in Europe. And I went over there for two years, and then uh, one year in Austria, one year in Cologne, Germany, and had uh, a great experience. And felt as I felt uh, I grew as a player, matured as a person, and and uh, that was in the NHL. I think went from 26 teams to 30 teams, and and I thought, well, you know, there's there's a hundred more jobs up for grabs here, and and uh, I didn't want to be 40 years old, and you know, uh, wish I would have made that decision. So I. I knew Europe had always been there. I kind of established myself a little bit and, and decided to come home and pursue, uh, you know, the NHL one more time. And Calgary owned my rights. I, I came back for one more year. We ended up with the Calder Cup in the American League uh, and then signed in Philly as a free agent and was able to spend a few years up, uh, you know, on an everyday basis in, in the NHL, which was awesome. 
I, you know, I see it now in all the teams and, and the way that they are handling their American League franchise. And a lot of them are trying to move their teams closer and, and try and have them in their backyard. I mean, obviously, uh, the most recent example will be, you know, Vegas moving their team to Henderson in the suburbs. But Calgary, Alberta to St. John, uh, that is not an easy flight. That's not an easy drive. Was that a terrible situation to go back and forth? Because time-wise, if you got called up in the morning, were you able to make it, or did you have to be the day before? How did that all play out from a distance perspective? Well, yeah, it wasn't ideal, obviously. And, and uh, you know, Calgary maybe didn't make a lot of transactions, a lot of call-ups, unless they absolutely needed to, uh, based off injuries or what have you. But, uh, you know, yeah, it was, a, it was a hike. I remember one story in particular, I was, out, I was up, up with the Flames, and I, I got sent down to, to St. John. I think it was a Saturday. So I flew all the way from L.A., uh, to St. John and Bronx, so basically across the continent. And I arrived back in St. John. Um, it must have been about eight thirty, nine o'clock, and I knew the guys were playing that night, so I'm thinking to myself, well, I'll just go down to the rink and say hi to all the boys. And, and sure enough, I got off the airplane in St. John, and our stick boy picked us up in a, in a van, and he had all my gear with him and, uh, and a Coke and a Snickers bar, and he goes, uh, we're short tonight. You're playing the third period. <laughs> and I, I thought to myself, what's going on here? So uh, I go, you're kidding, right? And he's like, no. It was Paul Baxter. It was coach at the time. And he, and so here I am. He's driving from the airport to the, to the arena. I'm literally throwing my gear onto the back of this van um, and, and roll out. Uh, Minor hockey style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so I come out, and, and I think the third period had just started, and and I didn't even have my helmet. I, I remember having to borrow somebody's helmet. I got a little pinhead, so this helmet was like a big garbage can on my head. First, uh, <laughs> first uh, whistle. There was a TV timeout, so I remember Baxi made me go and do a couple laps to get warmed up. So I always look at that story as being one of the best as far as uh, you know traveling and, and uh, you know the, the minor leagues. You know, another chapter of the book. So that was always one of my favorite stories. One of the 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 big takeaways for a lot of the dub players is the traveling, right? Riding that bus all across Western Canada, across the states. What are some of? I'm sure you've got some good bus stories over the year, Marty. That there's got to be some stuff along the way that's that that's happened that 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 that, that stuck out in your mind. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, a few few stories. Certainly, maybe some of them uh, aren't appropriate for the show, but. Uh, uh, things were different back then, for sure. I mean, there wasn't cell phones, and uh, I loved it. I mean, that's how you got to know each other, right? We put a lot of cards, must have saw Slapshot a million times, and, and uh, yeah, just being around the guys, I think that's how we've become so close-knit and had such a good group of people. And um, Yeah, just the bus trips and, you know, stopping in uh, Elkhorn to eat on the way to to Regina or Moosha. I'm not sure if the guys still do that. but Oh, yeah, uh, we do. Them. Marty, we have, to, yeah. we have talked about Elkhorn. I bet you this is what a crow. Episode 21 or 22 of the pod. I bet you the Elkhorn Supper has been brought up on about a third of these shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, guys the, love that it. That supper is infamous. Do they still have that chocolate cake they serve? Yep. The, with ice cream uh, now, uh, too. Yeah, oh, wow, big time. Oh, yeah. oh that, that was, uh, Being a prairie boy, the meat and potatoes, that was uh, the best meal of the year for sure. I think the funny thing was the first time we went there, obviously with this year with with Dave Lowry, who had just come from L.A. and you know he's living on Redondo Beach and you know enjoying probably some of the best fine dining and cuisine you can get in North America, being in L.A. 
And then he jumps on the bus and we pull it to Elkhorn. He's having turkey and stuffing on a game day. The, <laughs> yeah. the look on his face was like, what is this? <laughs> but about yeah. two trips later, he was the first one off the bus and barreling <laughs> to the front of the line because he had to get uh, a belly full. So. Absolutely, yeah. That's the best meal of the year. Hey, Marty, we're, we're, we're going to turn to the email inbox here really quick. Got a couple of questions from uh, Richard. He wants to know, who was the hardest working player on any of the Wheat King teams that you played on? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, guys that come right to mind, uh, you know, guys like Jeff Hode, uh, Mark Polisar, Bobby Brown. Um, I think those type of guys, I think, were, um, you know, kind of real glue guys in the, in the locker room and, and important pieces on the ice. I think, uh, yeah, guys like that um, really, I'm, I'm sure, I know I'm forgetting a few, but right off the top of my head, I think uh, you know, the, those three guys would stand out for me. His other question was, he wants to know, what is your favorite goal that you were on the ice for? He doesn't necessarily say the goal that you scored, but maybe there's a goal that you were just on the ice for that you would count as your favorite one. But is there one that sticks out in your mind? Uh, probably. I think it was uh, my first year in Philadelphia. Um, uh, we were in the playoffs against Ottawa game one. It was 0-0 in double overtime. And, and uh, <laughs> I ended up carrying the puck into the zone and, and went to delay and, and lost a tire and uh, threw the puck kind of at the net from my from my backside and it ended up on uh, Ruslan Fedotenko's stick and, and uh, ended up winning the game one nothing in overtime game one of the, of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I think that one probably uh, stood out. I, I uh, it wasn't by design, but uh, you know, it felt pretty good after after seeing that puck going after a double overtime in, in the NHL playoffs. The two years that you played, uh, obviously the World Juniors, you had great success both individually and uh, you know representing Team Canada as a team as a whole. But uh, you know you look at those rosters and it, it's hard. You know now you know everybody's so critical of these players. Back then, I, I don't know if there was quite as much pressure, maybe without the social media. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you, know, you had some great players on those teams. You know Todd Harvey, Michael Pekka, Anson Carter. You know, Jeff O'Neill, who I want to ask you about a little later, Ryan Smith, Darcy Tucker. You know, when you look back on your career, you know, despite the NHL games and everything, were those two tournaments, uh, where do they rank on your list of greatest hockey moments? Right up there for sure. I mean, uh, any Canadian hockey player, I mean, you know, besides the Stanley Cup, the World Juniors probably right, right there. And, and uh, for me, Having the opportunity to, to represent the Wheat Kings in, in Canada twice uh, is, was an absolute thrill. And both different experiences. I think the first year um, in, in Czech Republic, we were ranked, I think, six going into the tournament. We had a lot of players that uh, were supposed to be there but ended up making their, their NHL clubs like Paul Korea and Chris Pronger and uh, Jason Arnott and Todd Warner. To, I think those are a few guys that were supposed to be there but ended up playing in the NHL. So uh, the media... Um, you know, I think had us ranked at, at six uh, going to the tournament. So um, that was that was uh, an exciting time. We were kind of the underdog, and and um, and obviously came out with the gold medal. But uh, the second year in Red Deer, I think that uh, I think that was the first year. Maybe they started playing games in NHL venues. It was the year of the, the lockout of '95, and uh, so we played a game in Edmonton, a game in Calgary, where the arenas were both uh, sold out. So you're playing in front of eighteen, nineteen thousand people, and and um, that was a different 
that was a different year because uh, we had probably six, seven guys that had already played a full year in the NHL and were eligible to uh, play on the World Junior Team. So there certainly was that pressure, even though it's probably magnified nowadays with the, with the social media and stuff. There was that pressure, you know, in Canada, in our backyard with this kind of star-studded team that, uh, you know, it was gold or, or, or disappointment. And, and um, you know, we were able to, I think, become the first Canadian team to go 7-0 and in the World Juniors. It was back before they had that gold medal game. It was just round robin. So, um, you know, we delivered. It wasn't easy. Um, but, uh, yeah, just looking back on those years, some of the people that you crossed paths with, and, with, and uh, it was an exceptional time. And, and you have that uh, memory forever. And when you see those guys, wherever it is, uh, you know, you have that special bond with them. You know, Mario, one of the old sayings is those who can't do teach, and you are kind of the opposite end of that, though, because you did it. You were a goal scorer. You, 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 put, you put a lot in, and now you're turned to a successful coaching career. How did you find the end of your playing career transitioned into you now teaching the game? You know, I, I didn't – I thought a little bit about coaching, you know, as my career was winding down, you know, getting to my mid-30s and, and – uh, you know, I think the last probably two, three years in the American League with uh, uh, Manchester, LA's farm team, and even coming in with the Moose, I was kind of recognized as one of those older guys that uh, you know, was there to help the, the younger players along. So I really relished that role, and obviously I still wanted to do well. I, I felt they still had some game left in me, but understood what I was there for, too. And, and uh, that was that was kind of probably the turning point for me. Is like, hey, this maybe is something that I might want to look into a little more serious. And, you know, um, just looking back on that team, that we had in Manchester, um, a lot of those guys went on to be on those cup teams in, in LA, you know, a few years later. So, you know, I certainly not had not a lot to do with it, but just getting to know those guys and, and seeing them do well and, and become great NHL players was something that uh, um, I was proud of them for and, and, uh, and you know, was able to, to share their young experience with them and, and maybe help them out a little bit. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, as far as the coaching, uh, it kind of fell in my lap here a little bit of Minot. I retired in 2010. I was trying to figure out the next phase of my life. I owned, opened up a little uh, uh, hockey training facility. We had 2,000 square feet of uh, synthetic ice with some shooting lanes and stuff like that. So I was kind of teaching at that level. And then the junior team came to town a year later, and it kind of fell in my lap a little bit. I was, I was um, the assistant coach the first year. We won seven games out of 60, uh, which I asked myself – what am I doing on numerous occasions? Uh, but it actually reminded me a lot of my first year at the Wheat Kings. And, uh, you know, as a six year old, we only won 11 games. And, and uh, that was a tough year. But at the same time, um, I was able to draw from that as far as, you know, uh, from the coaching side of it and even the managerial side of it, some of the things Kelly did uh, to turn the franchise around and, and kind of at least had that experience as a player and, and uh, now as a coach. Uh, you know, it wasn't that I had a magic recipe to get out of it, but uh, if there's one good thing about uh, winning 11 games as a rookie with the weekends and then seven as an assistant coach my first year, uh, you know, it just, you have those experiences you can draw from and, and uh, fortunately for, for both organizations, we're able to get better. <laughs> there's so many great stories of Kelly as a, as a coach, as a motivator, as a, you know, as a leader, as I got a cat jumping in on the podcast here. <laughs> Uh, as a you know, as just as a guy, mentor, that sort of thing. You know, how much do you ever catch yourself? Now, I know now. You know, at my age, I'll say something to you know my wife, or I'll say something to the dog, and all of a sudden I hear my dad in my head, and I'm thinking. 
man, that was that sounded just like my dad. Do you ever catch yourself in the locker room saying something and then thinking, oh boy, that was a little Kelly McCrimmon that came out there? Absolutely, yeah, Kelly and, and Bobby and and uh, yeah, I mean, you draw from all those guys, Big Johnny and and uh, you know certainly you know three guys that um, had a big influence on my career, and I think. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things I, I tried to do coming out of junior hockey was be a pro every day. And, you know, that, that's the way you conduct yourself uh, away from the rink or your work ethic at the rink. You know, I just tried to be a pro every day. And, and there's no question that, uh, you know, my years with the Wheat Kings kind of uh, laid the foundation for that. I had to ask you, this was on my list. If I was just a fan growing up, I mean, you your age group of guys, um, you know, I, I'm not – Overly, I'm not that old. You started your weekend career when I was just two years old. Actually, your weekend career would have started before I was born uh, oh in uh, November of '91. But uh, you know, I, looking back, I you know I certainly remember you know watching the you know highlights and everything, and, and growing up a, a weekend fan, and and you know seeing you and being a local guy as well. I mean, I grew up in in small town, you know, Nipua and Boys of Ain, and you know a lot of us kids kind of thought that you were the the path to success because, you know, a small town kid making it big didn't happen all that often. When you were, you know, playing pro, you know, how much of, you know, what you uh, had for, you know, free ice or, you know, kind of maybe growing up in that small town mentality helped you get where you are? I find a lot of these small town kids say, I had the freedom to be on the ice whenever I wanted. All I did was go and skate after school. Was that kind of your, your upbringing in a, in a small, small town? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it was certainly one of those stories. We, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a community where uh, I had a lot of peers with the same passion that I did. So we, we had a group of guys that uh, we pushed each other in the winter with hockey and then we pushed each other in the summer with ball. And, and uh, it was a blast. I, I, had, I think I had the best childhood a, a guy could ask for, even though, you know, growing up in, in uh, a town of Wildson with 28 people. Uh, you know, it might not be everybody's cup of tea, but but for me, I wouldn't ask anything else. It was uh, it was an unbelievable experience. We had uh, the old rink in, right in town, uh, labeled the Forum, where it was natural ice, and and um, you know the dads from the community, everybody took a week of uh, uh, you know flooding the ice and making sure it was ready. And, and basically, the, the arena was open twenty four seven, and all that was required on the bus was to scrape the ice when we were done and, and uh, one of the dads would come in and flood it after. So there's no question that just growing up in, in those roots, uh, um, you know, helped me move forward in my career. And, you know, where, where I lived to in our house, um, my parents actually bought a school, the Lalton School. Um, I think I was just born. So, you know, it's a decent size uh, um, house that it turned into. And, and they left one room. It was probably, I'm going to say maybe 12 by 20. And they just left it alone. They didn't, uh, you know, decorate or anything. It was just a, a box. And that was my hockey room where I played <laughs> constantly uh, floor hockey with tennis balls. And, and again, with those same group of, of kids that I grew up with, that was uh, just kind of an everyday thing. And that's what we did. And, and uh, like I said, uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. I know that I've heard some stories uh, from, from, from you in the office, uh, from one of your old billet families. I know that billeting in junior hockey is, is very important. What was that like for you when you came to Brandon when, when you got billeted? Well, it was such an easy transition. Uh, I moved in with Gary and Janie McNish, uh, with Matt and Lisa, and, and uh, I mean, just tremendous from day one. And, and, and we actually, I actually knew them prior to, to uh, moving in there. Um, they're both from, from my community in the Lalton area, so um, we had a history with the family. So it just made, 
you know, moving away from home at such a young age uh, a lot easier and just fantastic people. As a matter of fact, I was texting Janie today, um, you know, just uh, played a huge influence on me, um, uh, you know, getting, you know, maturing away from the rink. I was, I was probably one of those kids and uh, coming from home where mom did everything and, and uh, you know, I know they helped me grow up a lot and, and uh, you know, supported me not only during my weekend days, but to this day and, and just unbelievable people. And, and um, you know, I, I hope every junior player has half the experience I had with my billets. Marty, I got a tweet sent in in the old question line uh, from Jay regarding your Spangler Cup uh, experiences. Now, I, if I'm not mistaken, you played in three for Canada and one under the German flag, right? As as a, one of the club teams, your second year, I think. In or was, I'm not sure which one that was, but I'll let you explain yeah. that. But they basically are asking: Is all the hype of the Spangler Cup being the wildest hockey tournament from a fan perspective? Is that true? Absolutely, and I think I have a story to back it up. Uh, um, yeah, first of all, you know, growing up and, and you know, the focus in Canada was always the World Juniors around Christmas, right? So uh, maybe a tournament that little flies under the radar a little bit, but uh, you know, having experienced it, uh, what a what an honor it was to represent Canada again and and play in that environment. Um, you know, uh, Davos was always the host team, the Swiss team, and then after that, they really liked the Canadians and. Uh, they really cheered for us when we were playing the Swiss and, and almost become like the second home team. So it, it was interesting coming from being on, on Team Canada where they love you to the next year uh, playing with the German club team, which they absolutely hated us. They they put us <laughs> out of the rank. And so the, the, the one story, um, we were playing and uh, we were staying in a hotel like right across the street from the arena. So... You know how it is. It, it takes the guys probably an hour to get out of the locker room. So one of the things you bring your family with, so all the wives and girlfriends are there. And, and uh, so the girlfriends, after when the buzzer uh, sounded off, they would they would walk back to the hotel and wait for us and we'd eat. And, and uh, so sure enough, we were, we were playing and showered up and walked back to the hotel. And, and uh, we walk in and the wives are all in the, in the lobby of the hotel and one has an ice bag on her face. And we go, what the, what the heck happened, I guess? Uh, when they left the arena, the, the, all the Swiss fans pelted them with uh, snowballs as they walked back <laughs> to, to the hotel. So one got hit in the eye and uh, give her a big shiner. So uh, that that's another great story that I always uh, always tell that experience of one year being absolutely adored by the fans because we were Team Canada and just hated uh, being on the German teams. <laughs> You mentioned you got a couple of, or three kids. Uh, now, I imagine they're all into athletics and sports and all sorts of things, but do you ever find it now? You know, I, I found it funny when Aaron Rome uh, was his assistant coach my first year with the club. Him and I uh, both entered the Wheat King staff uh, the same year, and he said it was it was always weird when his oldest son would have friends over and they'd be maybe looking at some hockey memorabilia and going, man, I want to go talk to your dad about all his hockey stuff. <laughs> Did your kids, maybe the older ones, do some of their friends want to just come and sit with you at the dinner table instead of maybe hanging out with your kids and talk hockey? Well, it's, it's kind of interesting. My oldest is my daughter's 16, so she always complains that uh, I uh, I interfere with her with uh, with the boys, so they're intimidated to come <laughs> over to the house. And thank goodness, uh, you know, the, the the fighting and stuff isn't uh, uh, as easy to, to dial up on online as it uh, was back then. Otherwise, uh, I wouldn't have anything to be scared of. But uh, yeah, that's one thing she complains about. She's like, "Oh, 
no boys will come over to the house because they're scared of you. And I'm like, well, that's why I want it. And, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's kind of fun. I mean, um, yeah, every once in a while the kids will ask for some stories. And, um, yeah, they're always fun to tell. <laughs> Did you keep any memorabilia? This is I'll take this out of our rapid-fire segment, but I, I, I'm a big memorabilia guy. I got a bunch of jerseys hanging behind me, sticks and everything else. From your career, what would you say is kind of the one piece – uh, that you're most proud of. I know you've got a whole bunch of gold medals and things, but you know, if you had one piece to put on display, you know, what would that be? Well, it's kind of funny because now we're moving. Um, have boxes and boxes of stuff laying around the house, so I kind of went through it recently. Um, I, it's hard to say. I mean, I come across a pennant uh, from the '95 World Junior Team signed by the entire team. Um, uh, boy, that's a tough one. Um, I have, uh, you know, Bobby Orr personalized, uh, you know, the goal where he's flying through the air. Yeah, Stanley Cup overtime winner. Uh, one of the guys that played with the minors, he was he was her agent. So I came across that uh, the other day. So, I mean, just a lot of stuff. Just a lot of not only memorabilia, but just pictures. Uh, you know, back then it was, you know, the pictures you get developed and stuff. So, uh, yeah, just about two weeks ago, I was, I was putting everything away, trying to get things organized for the move and, spent most of my evening just going through those pictures which brought back a lot of great memories uh, of uh, meeting a lot of great people along the way. You mentioned the 95 team. Uh, Jeff O'Neill was on that team. Now being in the media, I absolutely love O-Dog and his radio show and everything he does. I had the great uh, fortune of meeting him at the NHL draft in Chicago a couple years ago and he was exactly like I thought he would be. Do you have any O-Dog stories uh, from a young teenage Jeff O'Neill from back in 95? Yeah, so Doug, he's he's one of a kind for sure. So he, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know where to begin. He was definitely one of the one of the uh, you know biggest characters on our world junior team in '95. And even though he was, I think, an underage, I think he was going to get drafted that year actually. So I remember him to this day. We were up in Grand Prairie, and nobody really knew each other, and and uh, uh, you know everybody's trying to you know feel each other out, and, and we were sitting in a conference room, room and it in walks the good, so that's what his self-proclaimed nickname, the good Zodok, um, uh, with with some mascot head on where he just kind of cracked the room up and kind of broke the tension in the air. And uh, I always remember that. And then I actually played with him in, in Carolina for a year. And um, <laughs> one of the stories uh, I always love to tell, I mean, he was making probably three, $4 million a year at the time. And, and uh you know, just a character, and he's out of the local watering hole uh, the night before, and he come rolling up to practice in like a OJ Simpson type type Bronco, and he, he bought it off some guy like fifteen hundred dollars cash, like right at the bar, and so he parked his Mercedes Benz for three months and drove that thing, but he spent fifteen hundred dollars to buy it that night from the guy at the bar, but he, I think he dumped about six grand into it over the next three weeks in repairs. So that's uh, that's that's uh, Odog in a in a nutshell. Oh, I love it. <laughs> you look at the uh, the career you had, and obviously you, you had plenty of stops uh, with your probably longest, uh, you know, most continuous uh, seasons uh, being, you know, in 2001, 2002, Philadelphia, 74 games. Uh, the following year, 76 games. Carolina, 66 games. The following year after that, but also obviously you had the stop in L.A., your time in Calgary as well. Uh, of all the NHL cities you played in, uh, where was your favorite? You know, I think I think Philly for me. I, I felt like that was kind of where I got my first opportunity, and and not only you know I, I'm quick to say, not 
them giving me the opportunity. I took advantage of an opportunity and it was just a good fit. Um, you know, you, you touched on earlier about, uh, you know, the travel between the AHL and the NHL teams. Um, you know, that summer I became a free agent. There was, I don't know, maybe 10 teams that uh, were looking at signing me on a two-way contract. And, and one of the things that really appealed to me about Philadelphia was, you know, they had the Phantoms right, right there in the same practice rink. And, and, you know, you could literally get called up the same day and walk down the hall. Uh, so that I thought maybe there was an opportunity to get some more games up at the big club. Uh, and that's why I kind of chose Philadelphia. So, um, you know, it's a classic story that year one, I had a real good training camp and preseason and, and, you know, numbers, they sent me down to the minors and then, you know, took advantage of an injury situation. And, and I always felt like, um, you know, my first year, especially years in Calgary, I always played not to, not to make mistakes and keep it safe. And, you know, that really didn't get me anywhere. And, and uh, I think I was 25 or 26 at the time uh, when I was in Philadelphia and got called up. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to play the way I always have and, and try to create offense and not be scared to, to make mistakes. And uh, that was my mentality. And I was lucky enough to, uh, Billy Barber was our coach there. He, he um, had seen me in the American Leagues a lot. So he's familiar with me and, and allowed me to play my game. And I was kind of a, uh, you know, a, a fourth line guy, but I always found a way, or Billy always found a way to give me extra minutes uh, um, and, and play with some of the big boys a lot of the time. And uh, I'm forever grateful for that. And so the, those two years in, in Philly were pretty special to me and, and uh, allowed me to, um, you know, be a full time NHLer for the first time, um, you know, as a 26 year old. You want to play rapid fire now, Crow? Sure. Okay. I love rapid fire. So, Marty, we're going to ask you a couple of questions. You can give us, uh, you can elaborate if you want, or you can just simply give us the quick answer, and we'll go on to the next question. So, okay. what is your favorite WHL arena to play in? Keystone Center. <laughs> Smart man. Least favorite. <laughs> Old Tin Cannon Musha. <laughs> so you weren't sad when it went down? No, I think we we had their number quite a bit back then, so uh, I think we had some success. But it was a kind of a dreary arena. I felt. What was your post game go to restaurant at home in Brandon? Place where all the boys would get together for a bite to eat. Probably Don Cherry's. Where was that in town? I couldn't yeah, I that's tell you where that was. My it's up on North Hill. Um, uh, what golf course was that? It was right on there. Uh, oh, that golf course is still there. I think it's a little nine hole course. Yep. Yeah. It's up Pine Ridge. Yeah, it's up on Northville. Yeah, there's Pine Ridge and there's that like Northern Taurus that's like on Braycrest. Maybe that was it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, oh, who, who is the toughest player you've ever played with? Any any league? Mm, boy. Probably Donald Bashir. Good answer. That's a, that's, that's a great answer. Uh, when you look at uh, your time in Brandon, um, what would you, how would you describe the fans in Brandon? If you could you know, sum it up quickly, how would you describe the fans in Brandon in the early 90s? I would say very knowledgeable and very passionate. And how would you describe those teams you were on? Um... Uh, outstanding. I mean, um, you know, even year one, we were won 11 games. I felt like that nucleus of guys really, uh, you know, knew how to get it done, and, and we were able to carry out that the next three years. So um, those those four years in Brandon for me were, were outstanding, and, and I think we all kind of had the same uh, mindset and wanted to not only, you know, become better hockey players, but I think 
we all understood, hey, you know, this is a great hockey town with passionate hockey fans and and we were, you know, I think committed to, to try to do the best we could to, you know, make the weekings as respectable as we could. Now, this is, uh, you know, kind of maybe a, a tough question to answer, but, you know, with where you're at now and in the USHL and you're kind of kind of that stepping stone to college hockey as opposed to the career path you took, you know, in the Western Hockey League, is that a tough debate in your head when kids are talking to you about what's the best route for me because you don't want to sound like you're contradicting yourself, but you also want to promote your own program? How, how, about, how have you gone about handling that? That's a good question. I get that a lot. And, and you know, my answer is, you know, every, every uh, scenario is different. Every, every kid, um, you know, if you're a 16-year-old uh, absolute stud, you know, to, to go the major junior way is, is I think, um, you know, a, a great idea. Maybe if you're a late bloomer that's, uh, you know, 1920, maybe, maybe the NCAA route is, is the best way to go. But I'm not here to debate. I've never, I've never you know, said one's better than the other i have always my my impression is that uh every situation is different and every player is different and um you know at the end of the day um there's a lot of great hockey players out there nowadays and, and uh they get the exposure uh both at you know out of the ushl and, and out of the chl obviously so um it's a great question and, and i don't know if i have an answer to it but uh um, both have been really good to me um obviously my years of the weekends i wouldn't have wanted it any other way and um but again, I, I, you know, going to this side, the NCAA road, I, I see some some uh, some advantages there too, and I think it comes down to, you know, is is a kid, you know, a, a student? Is he is he um, a late bloomer? And those are questions I think on an individual basis, both the player and the parent have to answer. I was pumped to ask Ray Ferraro this when we had him on a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and he answered the exact same way Chris and I thought he would when we said. What was your favorite uniform to put on? Of course, he said the Hartford Whalers. Now, you wore some iconic uniforms as well. What was your probably best-looking uniform you ever put on? Oh, boy, a lot of them. I mean, I think the Weekings just put out a couple weeks ago that uh, uh, the Weeking logo from our era. I mean, that, that one I got on my wall all over here. Um, uh, you know, obviously, the Team Canada, anytime you, you put a Maple Leaf jersey on, is pretty special. I was able to collect my NHL ones. Um uh, and the European ones are different, right? It looks like a NASCAR uh, <laughs> race car, you know, with the advertising all over. So they always, all of them carry special meaning for me, and, and uh, I was lucky enough to call them home uh, for at least a year. Now, you played in Cologne, Germany, I know, and I know that Rich was over there too. Did you guys play together when you were over there? Or was that Rich? totally separate? Yeah, yeah, Rich? Because he was over uh, in Cologne no. too. Yeah, we, uh, we never played together. Um, I think we were in Germany one year at the same time, just some different different teams. And I think he was in Beatingheim, I think, um, uh, a couple hours down the road. But we, uh, uh, I think there was a, a national team break where we got together. We went and spent a couple of days with Darren Ronda and uh, good to catch up. But, uh, yeah, it's amazing over in Germany how many uh, Canadian kids go over there, especially at that time. Um, it was good to see some family faces that uh, you're familiar with. Because like Rich, always, Rich always hates it when I say this because it always dates him. But I'm a little older than Crow. But I was born '84, so like I'm from Russell. I remember those trips in like 12 years old to come and see you and Rich kind of tear it up. So he hates hearing those stories because because it, it dates him. But like you guys were kind of like my weekings that we were talking about. So it's very cool that. So was there anybody uh, from those teams that you did hook up with after you played here? Um, 
any like yeah, weaknesses? Like, like, yeah, yeah, that kind of comes to mind that you played on, uh, you know, a, a team together after you played here. Hmm. Would you have run into Trevor Kidd, who you were traded for at any oh, point in your you days go. in Calgary? Yeah, yeah, there's a good, yeah. Uh, well, Dinger, yeah, Dinger uh, was a Calgary uh, draft pick uh, the year after I was, so we played together in the minors a little bit. Um, but, yeah, Kidder, uh, we were involved in the trade there with Spokane and Brandon um, a little bit in Calgary. Then we played a full season together in Hanover, Germany in 07, I think, and that was Kidder's last year, the um, uh, year after the NHL lockout, I think, so. Um, yeah, ran ran cool. uh, cross paths with her and kind of a, a full circle uh, thing in the hockey world. Well, I think we we can probably kind of wind it up a little bit here. I'm sure you've got lots of uh, stuff to, to do, but uh, I, I want to ask you kind of what is your what is your summer right now look like if if COVID wasn't around? Are you are you just you got to move, Crow? From- Have you moved? It well, sucks. No, there's know, boxes but- to pack. There's stuff he's got to be going through. <laughs> Marty, it's a whole process. I'm sure you're just in a regular picking. off season though. Where are you regular chasing the kids around? Or are you are you trying to take a trip somewhere? Or what what's a normal off season for you look like now? As a, as a coach, and a dad. yeah, I mean, um, we have a we have a lake cabin up at uh, on the on the west side of Metagosh, so uh, we try to spend as many weekends up there as we can. Um, but with kids being involved, my youngest plays uh, travel fast pitch, uh, so she's on the road quite a bit. So just I don't know, just being a regular dad, uh, chasing kids around and trying to uh, enjoy some summertime because it goes by real quick, and you know. Every, my, my oldest is going to be a, a 11th grader this year. Um, you know, everybody always say, you know, you snap your fingers and uh, it goes by quick. And, you know, you, when they're two, three years old, you always say, yeah, right. But uh, here I am with a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, and it'll be two, three years, uh, you know, they'll be out of the house. So it's kind of, uh, you know, makes a guy sad. So trying to spend as much time as family as we can and, and uh, yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy, uh, you know, our time together. Well, all the best. Hopefully, when the borders get back open, we can uh, see you back up here in Brandon soon. And uh, good luck with your program when all that gets started back up here as well, Marty. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. That is Marty Murray joining us here on the Weekly Harvest Podcast. Now, here comes the awkward part here, Marty, where we get to slowly kick you out of our conversation while I look at my other screen. <laughs> it was it was funnier with Darren Drager because he just stared like he was frozen, but he wasn't, and he was really freaky. <laughs> All right. So I just beat here. What's that? I'll just beat a lot of here then. <laughs> yeah, you're you're good to go. You're free right. to head back to your golf game. Thanks a ton. Well, I'm, I'm hoping everybody else is packing while I'm doing this. So thanks for buying me some time. <laughs> no worries, no worries. We can at least get you out of that. Take care. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. All right, there we go. So we just actually, uh, before we went on live on the air with Marty, he was saying that he literally just got back from the golf course. So he walked into the into his house, got it set up, and joined us. So we definitely appreciate him taking time out of his busy day to, to join us here tonight. Yeah, and I mean, that guy, you know, he has had a, a crazy career. You talked about him moving around. I mean, he started in Brandon, and that seems oh so simple. And then to Calgary, okay, that's close. But like I said, back and forth to the East Coast in St. John, and then over to Austria, then to Germany, back to Calgary, back to St. John, to Philadelphia, to Carolina, back to Germany, over to L.A., uh, over to Manchester, New England, which is, again, on the opposite end of the country, little stop with the moose, and then a stop in Milwaukee. The guy has covered a ton of miles. And, uh, no, that was good. Uh, certainly love chatting with the old uh, Wheat King alumni. A uh, couple of bits of news uh, coming today that probably are going to affect some more Wheat King alumni. 
Uh, Canadian University Sport um, has announced some major, major news today, uh, canceling all fall sports due to COVID. Now, that includes, um, of course, men's and women's soccer, which affects Brandon University, uh, women's rugby, uh, men's football as well. And they're also canceling the Vanier Cup, which is one of Canada's oldest trophies to win. Uh, as of right now, hockey is simply postponed. They haven't officially canceled the CIS uh, college season. They're hoping to maybe get some games played in by January. Now, there's a ton of questions. You know, do fifth-year guys get an extra year? What does it mean for guys entering their fifth year? I know there's a lot of uh, former Wheat Kings plying their trade in the college hockey ranks. And, you know, you and I were talking before we got on about the potential return to the Western Hockey League and things like that. And this is just another case of... Uh, there's so many questions and so many pieces that come together with college sports coast to coast that, you know, I'm not surprised to see this, although I am, I would suggest maybe it's a little bit early for a full cancellation of fall sports, but uh, nonetheless, kind of a sad day uh, for a number of former WHLers that uh, had plans going into their final year. Well, and that's what we discussed too, is it seems like whenever all this news is getting, you know, announced that things are getting postponed or canceled, it seems so early, right? Like here we are, it's, second week of june but it's one of those things that there's people who have to get ready for that season and there's uh, and there's a lot of moving parts that uh, you know they always want to get ahead of it um you know instead of being behind the eight ball which totally get these days um at at, at the same time it just does feel a touch early like i get there's a like, like, yeah. like we just said like there's a lot that has to be done beforehand but it seems like it's it is a touch early to be just straight up canceling until until january um but Again, you're talking about not just local athletes. They're traveling all across the country. And you're talking about those yeah, tournaments. And it's not like it's just Western Canada. It's Western, Central, and Eastern. It's it's the whole country. So I, I get why they have to get ahead of it with, with stuff like that. But at the same time, it, it still is very early. Um, you know, And we talked about that like with, with our league. There's been no big announcements yet because um, I think everybody is just staying hopeful, right? Like we got to open these phases as they come and, and see how it goes. Knock on wood, everything stays positive and everything get, you know stays on this track. Um, but for now, that was disheartening to read that all you sports and you nailed it. It's more concerning and depressing for the seniors, just like our 20-year-olds, how they didn't get to finish their oh, season. Yeah. Well, imagine not even getting to play at all during your overage. And there's talks about how guys they could possibly, and I don't know if I don't know a ton about U sports, but I know they can do something called maybe like red shirt for a season where they keep their eligibility, but then they can't do any kind of sport. There's a bunch of different questions they got to figure out, but I feel real bad for those people who got one year of schooling yeah. left, want to go out on a high note, and now that's kind of gone. So, well, and to think, I mean, we've already talked, you and I talked last week, I think, or the week before about the CFL and how they're not sure if the CFL is going to come back. And now you've got college football in Canada. Uh, canceling right up to the championship game the championship game the vanier cup is played the week before the gray cup so that's a similar overlapping season so now you know does the cfl follow suit does that mean the bombers are are going to be done i mean it's it's one of those things where you know you and i we we certainly don't want to give fans any impression either way which way the western hockey is going because you and i are going to be you know we're going to know when everybody else knows uh it is interesting to note the quebec major junior league did announce they're planning to go ahead with an october 1st start date for for training camp which you know is i love the optimism i really do um, but the Western Hockey League, I would assume, is watching that closely and, and going to see kind of how that, you know, next couple of weeks and months play out out in Quebec to determine the way they're going to go. Now, the difference is, of course, Quebec's got a couple of provinces, but the Western League's got four provinces and two states. 
uh, to deal with, with teams in every location. Sure, if you broke off Saskatchewan, Manitoba, you know, you could probably play games and have uh, half the fans in the building and be okay. But all of a sudden you're crossing into BC, down into Portland, Tri-City. Now you've got some bigger questions. So it's still early, and it's certainly uh, there's so many smarter people working on this than you and me. Yeah, and as for now, all I'm doing, just like in life, just staying positive, man. That's all we can do. That's yeah. that's all that we can be in control of is stay positive. Uh, you know, hopefully everything gets back up and running sooner rather than later. But I mean, last week with my week off, I turned off the phone as I told you for a couple days. Turned off the news. Felt so much better. Felt so much better about life in general to not be stressed out about that. Because um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing we can do. It's 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 early June. So and but whenever it does kick back up, I could not already be more excited. Like, yeah, I so. agree with you. I, I've had so much time now. I mean, everyone talks about you know radio guys and their preparation and who's more prepared than other guys. Well, I, I was already in full prep mode and for for playoffs, and that just kind of leaked into plans for this coming season. And uh, certainly, you know, can't wait to get back in the booth. Uh, can't wait to get catch up with Pete and Perry and the rest of the guys around the league. But uh, I guess at the end of the day, all you can do is wait. Um, and that's what you and I are trying to do every week is just give give some waking fans something different, something to listen to, just to maybe, maybe you're driving home or maybe you're on the highway or you're having lunch or whatever the case may be. Maybe we can offer you a little bit of a break from uh, the craziness uh, that is reality. And that's kind of what we strive to do. A uh, couple pieces of news as well from the Western League. Dustin Wolf winning the CHL Goaltender of the Year Award today. Something about goaltenders and Everett. What is up uh, with the Silver Tips yeah. and winning that Goalie of the Year Award, eh? Like, there's got to be something in the program. water there. It, it's crazy. Unbelievable. Uh, so congrats to Dustin Wolf, uh, Calgary Flame draft pick. Other goaltending news today. Nine WHO goalies have been invited to Hockey Canada's Program of Excellence Camp. Now, this is going to be different than in the past. Instead of an on-ice camp, it's a four-day virtual program. So... I don't entirely know how they're going to pull that off if it's all just Zoom meetings and videos, but uh, Sebastian Kosa of the Edmonton Oil Kings, Dylan Grand of the Camloose Blazers, both Prince George Cougar goalies, Taylor Goche and Winnipeg's Tyler Brennan uh, as well. Uh, Winkler's Reed Dick, who is a prospect of the Swift Current Broncos, and Regina Pats goaltender Matthew Keeper uh, make the list. Uh, Calgary Hitman assistant coach Jason LaBarbera, longtime NHLer, uh, will run uh, the event as a goaltending consultant. Uh, so that's pretty much it for news. We do have next week's guest booked. Um, one guy we tried to get a couple of weeks ago, but he was busy helping the family on the farm, and he texted me this morning out of the blue and said, hey, we're done. I'd love to join you. So Philadelphia Flyer defenseman uh, Travis Sandheim will join us, as well as one of his buddies and former Week King Tanner Kaspik. So we'll have a couple of young guys, uh, local guys, that had a similar yet different path to pro hockey, and uh, they're going to join us next Monday. That's going to be great. So next Monday, right here on the Q YouTube page. Uh, if you have questions, just like uh, Richard and Brant did tonight, you can drop us a quick email. It's qweeklyharvest at gmail.com. That's the letter Q, weeklyharvest at gmail.com. So if you got questions for uh, Sanheim or Caspic, you can email it there. Join us live right here on the Q Country YouTube page next Monday night at 8 o'clock. Or if you're like 99% of the podcast listeners, you're listening to this on your own time, on your own device, whenever you want, which is the glory, which is the whole point of the podcast. But for those that are watching live of course we do appreciate it you can be a part of the conversation ask the questions uh, or just check it out afterwards qcountryfm.ca 
And the best part, if you're listening in your car, is that you don't have to see my hair right now. This is awful. Chris, actually, you just sent me a Snapchat I took of a snap myself. because I had to. For, like, over half oh, the pod, man. Crow, you had, like, the single strand like this going down. Oh, God. I couldn't fix it. Look at this It was, like, mess. the one strand. It was, it was glorious. Anyway, I had to take a picture of you in 17. Oh, this is... I can't... Look at it. I can't not it was that one. It was that one. Look at that. <laughs> oh, I really hope that more people go and watch this just to see your hair right now. So go go to the end of the pod. Is that Brandy that just walked in? Yeah, my wife's <laughs> looking at me from the door, just shaking her head. Brandy, you gotta take better care of your man. This is getting yeah. embarrassing. Get the scissors, honey. I'm coming into the kitchen. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next Monday, maybe with a salad bowl haircut. <laughs> Do it up. All right. Thanks, everybody. We cover this podcast. We'll talk to you again next week. Till then, cheers. Be sure to follow Q Country and the Wheat Kings on Twitter and Facebook for all your Brandon Wheat Kings news. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Harvest.